Let's take your Bibles tonight. Please turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we'll look at the last six verses of the chapter, verses 13 through 18, as we finish up chapter 3 tonight. We're in the midst of a larger section, though, the Christian and his behavior. And so we started at the beginning of chapter 3, and we go to about the middle of chapter 4, before we're done this section that the uh, Pastor James is dealing with. And tonight we're going to look at, uh, or last week we looked at sins of the tongue, Sin in the tongue. And you'll remember there was quite a lengthy passage. The first uh, 12 verses of the chapter had to do with the tongue, how it's a fire and it kindles, uh, it's a little spark and kindles a fire. It's a little rudder that controls a ship and it can do so much damage, yet it's so small. And it, but yet it is powerful. So tonight, we're not going to look at, we're going to look at first the, the sin in the, in the mouth. We called it last week for the alliteration. And tonight, the sin in the mind, the sin in the mind. And we have to do with wisdom tonight. And so there's worldly wisdom, which is sin, and then there's the wisdom of God, uh, which we're going to look at as well. So let's look, uh, verses 13, James chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll read till the end of the chapter. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Father, we need your help tonight. And Lord, may the Spirit of God fill me and help me to teach this passage of Scripture. And Lord, may the Word of God go forth and help us and help us to grow. That's our our thought and theme for the year. And I pray, Lord, that we would grow in wisdom, that we would lean upon you for godly wisdom, not look to the world for their knowledge and so-called wisdom, Lord, which leads to destruction. So, Father, may you teach us tonight, open up our hearts to the Word of God. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at verse 13. We're going to look, first of all, at the sin of the mind. And in your notes, you might notice that I kind of overlapped from last week a little bit. Roman numeral, uh, I believe it was Roman numeral 5, would be sin in the, or uh, sorry, the Christian and his behavior. And then we talked about sin in the life revealed. We're still on that. Uh, letter A, sin in the life revealed, and we looked at sin in the my, uh, mouth, and then tonight, 13 through 18, is sin in the mind, and that's what we'll pick up in our notes. Letter A is wisdom and its course. Wisdom and its course. Look, at, if you will, at verse 13 and 14. But, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Here we have the picture of a wise man. What is a wise man? And the Bible gives us, first of all, this mainstream of wise behavior. The mainstream of wise behavior. Like the tongue reveals the heart or it flows forth from the heart. And that's where we get the idea of a stream. Think about that. Every water or every stream has its head. And the tongue streams from the heart. All right? Wisdom streams from the mind. Now, where you get that wisdom is two different sources. We have the wisdom of the world, or we have godly wisdom, and we have to make a decision, where are we going to get that wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge, knowing how to deal with certain situations 
Because either God has given us wisdom that we have asked for or gleaned or learned, or we have the wisdom of the world that we try to make sense of the world around us. So we see that the tongue reveals the heart, but our behavior reveals our level of wisdom. And so we, we can often look at somebody and say, well, they don't behave very wisely. They didn't handle that situation with a lot of wisdom. And so our behavior plays out our wisdom, or it's the stream that ends in wisdom. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. A wise man doesn't need to boast that he is wise. It'll be seen in his behavior. People, certain people get a reputation for their wisdom and, and how much uh, they are able to apply Bible knowledge. And so people will naturally go to them. They'll take prayer requests to that person or they'll ask them uh, for advice and seek after their counsel simply because their behavior has played out that they are leaning upon God for wisdom. The Bible says this about that in verse 13. Who is a wise man among you and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. It's not a wisdom. How many of you have got friends that always give you advice, but it's unsolicited? Do you know somebody like that? Don't, I think we all kind of do, don't we? Somebody that just always has a better way of doing something, always gives advice, Normally doesn't turn out so well. We didn't ask for that wisdom. We didn't ask for that advice. But they're there to offer it anyway. And uh, we kind of get our backs up a little bit about that. Well, the Bible says that a true, per, a true wise man or somebody who has wisdom, they're not going to behave like that. Look at the end of the verse. It says, with meekness of wisdom. They don't push themselves on anybody else. But instead, we can see that they are wise because of their good conversation or their behavior. And so that's the mainstream of wise behavior. Somebody said this, Pastor Masker used to like to say this a lot. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Did you get that? I just noticed that recently somebody wrote a song about that. And it's your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Okay, so you memorize that and get that down. I, I don't have a scripture reference for it, but it's, it's, it's good anyway. And it's true. We, we show forth our works uh, 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 through our behavior. Now, somebody said this. One time I was interviewing a young man many years ago. He was a college student. He was wanting to come and help us on the weekends in, in Hamilton. And I, I called his pastor, and he said this. He says he has talked further than he's walked. You understand that? And I had to think about that for a minute. He has talked for things. In other words, he says a lot of things, but he hasn't done much. He talks like he's this great big, you know, performer, but there hasn't been a lot of works to prove it or show it. And so true wisdom says it'll play out in my behavior. You'll see it in my life. I don't have to boast about it. I don't have to talk about it. I don't, I don't have to impose my will on others. I don't have to give unwarranted advice. I just have to live a godly life and let God use me, and God will promote that, and God will uh, bring others to me for wisdom. So our behavior is a stream that stems from our mind. Our wisdom, which is applied knowledge, and especially spiritual wisdom, which is applied knowledge aided by the Holy Spirit, is evident in our behavior. The choices we make either to keep that stream pure or cause it to be polluted, all stem from our choices. And we've, we've said that and we've preached that to young people for years. Everything comes down to choices. And whether we pollute that stream 
or whether we use that stream biblically, it comes down to choices. Where am I going to turn for wisdom? Who am I going to pray to? Who am I going to look to when I need advice? And so that's the mainstream of wise behavior. Number two, the muddy stream of wicked behavior. And here's where we get into the sins of the mind. Look at verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. So the wise man, he's meek. The Bible says you'll have meekness of wisdom. That means he's not pushy. He's not going to lord it over somebody. He's not going to say, hey, I've been down this road. I'm smarter than you. Why don't you listen to me? And so, but then the Bible says if you're the other side of the coin, you ought not be proud or boasting either. You ought not glory in it. And we see some things here about this muddy stream of wicked behavior. First of all, it's evident by a bitter spirit. A bitter spirit. Look what he says. But if ye have bitter envying. Keep in mind, this is the opposite of godly wisdom that we find in verse 13. He says, but, so we're looking at the other side of the coin now, if ye have bitter envying, envying is jealousy. If, if we're going to break those down words down properly, envy means, envy means if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. That's envy. So Mr. Baker goes out and buys a, I just heard the other night, and I started to remember it, recall this, about your white Camaro with the red seats and all that. I kind of remember that when you first came to the church, and he was telling us how he wooed Lori with a white Camaro, and she said, what's a Camaro? She had no clue what it was, and you know, and uh, if, I, if I saw that car and I said, man, look at that car, man, I wish I had a car like that. Then I look at my bank account and realize I can't have a car like that. I, matter of fact, I was probably only about eight years old at the time. And, and so I, I couldn't drive it. I couldn't afford it. So in my envy, I go and say, well, if, if I can't have it, I'm going to take a sledgehammer and I'm going to knock out all the windows and the taillights. And I'm going to put some dents in it. And I'm going to destroy that car because I don't want him. That's envy. Jealousy's, jealousy is just that emotion that arises in our heart where we say, I want that car, I covet that car, I desire that car, and we do unsensible and unreasonable things to maybe go out and attain it. So maybe we go into uh, unmanageable debt. Or we'll, take, or we'll sell off some things that are more important and, and needy, or we'll sacrifice taking care of our family that we might put the money. That's jealousy, and that's the problem it causes. And the Bible says what that envy can do is it can come from, it can cause bitterness in our lives. Imagine if that thing that Tony had was so far off that I, I just get close and all of a sudden the price went up $3,000 because of inflation. And then when I finally decide that I've got enough money to go and purchase that car, they're not making them anymore. Now it's another year has passed. They're not manufacturing those cars. I just, I can never seem to get what I want, and I start to get bitter. Well, that's the Bible says is the natural outpouring of not having wisdom. This is the other side of the coin. When we don't exercise wisdom in situations that come before us, eventually we start to get bitter. By the way, you can be jealous of nearly anything. You can be jealous of nearly anything. You say, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. Think about it. You can be just jealous of somebody else for no good reason sometimes. Just because they have better hair than you. I'm jealous of everybody for better hair than me. I mean, you, you can be jealous for a, a better singing voice. You can be jealous for whatever it might be. You can be jealous. And if, if it grows on us, we can become bitter. There was a man years ago that had a real bitter spirit 
And I tried to go and visit him. He didn't come to the church. He'd been in the church years before when Pastor Master was there. And I tried to visit him once in a while, and we'd go and see him. And he, he just had this bitterness built up. And almost every time I saw him, he'd say, well, you know, I, I know the Bible so well. I know the Bible so well, I could preach better than you could. I thought, okay, that's, sure you can. There's lots of guys who preach better than I can. But it was that bitter envy that was causing that. There was a bitterness there. And I don't know, maybe he could preach better. It, it didn't matter. God hadn't called him to preach. And so envy rears its ugly head. The Bible says one of the sins is a bitter spirit. And then we see, secondly, a belligerent spirit. Look what it says in the second part of verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, that's a belligerent spirit. When bitterness starts working its way outward, uh, it, how, how many of you have ever watched a pot boil? Eventually that lid starts rattling and the steam starts blowing. That's kind of like bitterness inside. We let it fester. The Bible says in Hebrews, when the root of bitterness springs up, and when it comes and grabs us, and so it becomes outward and it becomes belligerent. And the Bible talks about having strife in your hearts. A heart full of strife is one that becomes combative towards those that they feel have wronged them. The word strife literally means to put self. Now listen, let me say this again. The word strife literally means to put self on the throne and then fight off all challengers. Think about that. God said back in, Genesis, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And we understand that to mean that the Holy Spirit was coming down to convicting hearts and fighting to keep the, the, keep the world pure and the sin was coming up in the nose of God, the nostrils of God, and it was stinking. And the Bible says God decided he had to wipe out the entire earth with a flood. And he said to Noah, my spirit shall not always strive with man. I'm going to fight for another 120 years and allow people to try to get right. In that time, I want you to build an ark. Is then I'm going to destroy the world. That strive means to combat or to fight or to push. But this word strife in the heart literally means that I've made it on the way to the throne because of bitterness and envy. But now I'm going to fight off all challengers. I'm going to put down others. I'm going to defame people that I look better in the eyes of the world. The best picture that I can think of is like a two-year-old stomping their feet when they don't get what they want, and then they scream until they get it. For a two-year-old, that's childish behavior. It's unbecoming in an adult, and it's sinful in the life of a Christian. But that's what it means to strive in our hearts, to have a belligerent spirit. Here's the third thing we see from this muddy stream of wicked behavior. What about a boastful spirit? Look at verse 14. The third part there says, glory not. Glory not. So don't be boasting in it. If ye have bitter envy and it's got to this place where you have strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't exalt yourself above everybody else. You're in a place of sin. Glory not. If strife is putting self on the throne, he says now, he says, we got to be warned even further, don't glory in it. Once someone gets there, once they'll, they'll often gloss over their own faults, won't they? They'll stick their head in the sand and they won't realize the problems going on because they're trying to hold on to that throne and they're glorying in, in, in what they have achieved. Now consider the whole verse together and think about this. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Now consider the next part. And lie not against the truth. 
That fourth sin we see is a blind spirit. You see, you get bitter and you get envying, and so you start elevating yourself and you start boasting, but then we become blind to the truth. We don't see our own faults any longer because we have elevated ourselves. And so the problem with our boasting is that we often start to believe it. So let's be careful about the blind spirit. I want you to see letter B, wisdom and its sources. Wisdom and its source. We've, we've talked about wisdom and its course. Let's look at wisdom and its source. There are two types of wisdom that exist. Worldly, carnal, human wisdom. And then there's the wisdom of God. And so let's look first of all at the source of human wisdom in verse 15. This wisdom, going back to verse 14, about this sinful, bitter, envying, strife in your hearts, glory not, and lying against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. We already knew that, didn't we? That's not of God. We can look at situations today, and I, I hope that you have enough spiritual wisdom. I don't, it doesn't matter if you've been saved today. I hope you have enough wisdom to look at something and say, that's just not right. That just, that just doesn't make sense spiritually at all. That, that's an affront to God. And we look at those things, and, but to the world, it does make sense. And, and we have to understand that wisdom, our source of wisdom, get this tonight, our source of wisdom shapes our worldview. You understand what I'm saying? Our source of wisdom shapes our worldview. If our source of wisdom is the world, if we are carnal, if we deny God, if we don't believe in the Bible, then we're going to have a very different world outlook than somebody that says, I'm a child of God, I believe the Bible, and I believe with all my heart that even if I did not have a Bible, that if I am saved, if I were on a desert island and somebody dropped by and led me to the Lord Jesus Christ and the only scripture I knew was the Romans road, and I accepted Christ as my Savior, I really believe that the Holy Spirit of God was going to change my heart. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are come new. That I should have enough common sense to say, hey, there are some things that the world's doing that's wrong. It's an affront to God. Let me give you an example. As a child of God, I cannot comprehend for one second why anybody thinks abortion's okay. I just don't get it. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But somebody in the world has a completely different worldview, and they say, oh, it's just an inconvenience, it's just a mass of cells, it's, it's not living, it's not breathing. I just saw a picture uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, of a little child that was born at 16 weeks premature. It was 16 weeks old. That little child had everything, fingers, toes, a complete body. You knew what it was. But you can abort that baby our government is so hypocritical that if a child is born at 25 weeks of pregnancy, you have to perform a funeral by law. You have to have a burial in the very least. Uh, maybe not a funeral, but you have to have a burial. But you can abort that child and they'll throw it on a heap and burn it in an incinerator. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But to the world, that may, why? Because their source of wisdom is very different than ours. We have absolute authority, the word of God. And our source of wisdom is God. So it shapes our worldview. So look at, first of all, this source of human wisdom. First of all, we see its outflow in verse 15. Where does it come from? This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it is earthly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. I've given three things here uh, just to kind of help us remember these things. It has a secular source. It has a sensual source. It has a satanic source. All right? 
Look back at those words quick of all, quickly. Now, isn't, isn't the Holy Spirit amazing how he chooses just the right words? It's earthly. That's secular. That's carnal. That's fleshly. One of our boys this morning, we have three boys going to be preaching at convention this year, and one of them preached about the, the works of the flesh. Noah, Vart, got him preached on the works of the flesh. And I, all I could think about was tonight's lesson about this earthly thing. And he just outlined what is the works of the flesh. That's what this is. It's earthly, it's fleshly. And then the Bible talks about sensual. The word sensual there means it appeals to our senses, whatever feels good to me. That's the kind of wisdom the world follows after. So first of all, they run around to every fool out in the world that, that calls themselves a scientist and calls themselves a doctor and, and calls themselves, uh, that they have any sort of knowledge or wisdom. They call them, you know what they call them today? Here's, here's a word to, to be careful of. They call them scholars. All right? Well, scholars have studied the Bible and they say that it's really not. Come on. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's not a scholar. That's a fool. And so watch out for scholars, but the Bible also goes on to about these sensual. Now I've, I've run around to all the world, but now I'm going to do what I feel is right. I, whatever feels good to me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Where have we heard that before? And then the Bible says it is also devilish or satanic. And so the devil has a, a part in this game as well. That's the source of worldly wisdom. The next time you shake your head and say, what is this world thinking? This is what they're thinking. This is their source of wisdom. They're getting it from the world. They're getting it from their own senses. Whatever feels good, feels right, whatever's convenient. And they're getting it from Satan himself because it is devilish. And so we see not only it's secular source, the sensual source, the satanic source. Think about this, Romans 8 verse 6. says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then we see in verse 16, it's outcome. It's outcome. We're talking about this human wisdom. We see it's outflow, but it's outcome. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Isn't it interesting that James, as he writes this, he writes verse 15, he talks about this human wisdom. And in verse 16, he doesn't say it may cause envying strife. He just says, for where envying and strife is. It's just assumed that if we're going to lean on the world's wisdom, if we're going to be carnal, fleshly, sensual, satanic, then what's going to happen? There's going to be envying and strife. Does the world make sense now? Is there envying and strife in our world today? Why? God said there'd be. Because they're leaning to their own understanding. They're not coming to God for wisdom. They're leaning on their own understanding. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. And it's causing discord and strife. And so we see its outcome, first of all, is unrest. The first part where envying and strife is, James makes the assumption here that there's where there's worldly wisdom, there'll be always envying and strife. Here's the scary thought. Our society is becoming increasingly secular. There's going to be more envying and strife. I find it interesting as I watch what's going on in the United States that they get up and they say, well, we want to clamp down on immigration because we're afraid of terrorism, so let's get this under control for a little while. And then we'll, it was temporary ban, they called in all this. And I'm telling you, liberals went crazy. 
Governor of Texas passed a bill not long ago to close down a bunch of, make abortion, make abortion so tight that 17 clinics had to close. They said, we can't operate under these strict guidelines. And people were marching in the streets. And they had that woman's march the day after the American election. And millions of people around the world were marching for abortion and for Planned Parenthood and all this garbage. I, I mean, what's going on? They're blaming those that are standing for truth for causing problems when they're out marching the street, burning down Berkeley University, causing all kinds of problems. And they say, well, we're peace. We're, we're, we're marching for peace. No, you're not. And you're saying that the conservatives are causing all that. Listen, the Bible is a conservative book, by the way. I just, I just say that. And I'm not telling you how to vote or anything. I'm just saying the Bible is conservative and Christians ought to be conservative because the Bible is conservative. I'm just going to say that. So where envy and strife is, look at the next thing. Not only is there unrest, there is confusion and every evil works. So not only is there unrest, but there's ungodliness. This is why our testimony is so important. Not just in the church house or among other Christians, but in the public square. We must have a testimony. We must not be afraid to, to stand up and say, no, this is truth and this is right. And, and yes, you're going to get people pushing back, and you're going to get people angry, and, and they're going to be upset. But listen, as the Christian goes, so goes the country. And so we must take a stand for truth. So that's the course or the source of human wisdom. What is the source of heavenly wisdom? Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. And it's something that just that first word, all of a sudden, it just changes the whole tenor, doesn't it? I mean... Aren't, aren't you just relaxed when you read that word all of a sudden? We word, read the word envy and strife, and all of a sudden in my heart I go, oh, that's not good. But I read about wisdom from above being pure, and I just kind of relax and say, oh, that's a lot better. Maybe that's something I want. So we see some things about it. First of all, we see its basic characteristics in verse 17. The first thing we read about it is pure. It is from God, after all. It's pure. It's from above. It's always without blemish and it cannot be faulted. It is pure. And then we see its benevolent characteristics or its outpouring of good. Verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. I've broken those three words down into three categories as well. And first of all, it's motivation. It's peaceable. That literally means to seek after peace. One who seeks peace. That's the motivation of God's wisdom. Listen, when God imparts wisdom, He is always seeking to bring resolution, reconciliation, and peace. That's how you know it's of God. If it's stirring up strife, it's not of God. Now there are times that we end up in battles and we mess things up. We are flesh. But God is not the author of confusion. You remember a little while ago I told you about that lady that said she had a battle with her neighbor and, and she was out there because her dogs were barking. You remember I told you this just a few weeks ago? And she said, I, she says, I was out there and she says, God came in, into my, I was praying, God, how do I deal with this? And the Holy Spirit came upon me and the Holy Spirit told me to say, now listen, you witch. That's not peaceable. That's not seeking peace. That was not the Holy Spirit of God or the wisdom of God. And so it's easily identifiable. So we see its motivation is always to seek peace. It is peaceable. And then we see its moderation. The Bible says it is gentle. God's wisdom instructs us to use discretion. That's what the word gentle here means. To be discreet. 
to have discretion. If you have to rebuke somebody, you, you kind of try to seek the restoration in it. You're gentle. You seek God's wisdom and you handle the situation in such a way that it's not going to hurt if you can at all help it. God's wisdom always is discreet and gentle. The world wants their pound of flesh. They want revenge, but God says, no, I want you to be gentle. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law with one another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? The first thing we like to do is get up and defend ourselves when God says, why don't you just be defrauded? Just take it. Suffer wrong. That's being gentle. And then we see it's mediation in the third word there. We see easy to be entreated. That, that phrase, easy to be entreated, means we recognize and are persuaded by the truth readily. So somebody comes to you and says, Brother Paul, i got to talk to you about something. I think you were wrong. And, and here's why I think you're wrong. Ready to be entreated, or easily entreated, literally means he goes, you know what, if that's the truth, you're right, I was wrong. He just takes it and says, if that's the facts and that's the truth, I, I, man, I didn't understand and I'm sorry I was wrong. That's easily entreated. That somebody can mediate with us in a very simple way and, and we have a tender heart and a tender spirit and able to take it. That's what godly wisdom does. See the difference? Worldly wisdom says let's fight back, let's push back, let's have anger, let's have strife. Godly wisdom says no, let's, let's be meek, let's be gentle, let's be tender, let's, let's be easy to be entreated. And then we see thirdly, it's bountiful characteristics. We're talking about heavenly wisdom. Read verse 17 again, that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, basic characteristic, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Those are benevolent, or what, what shows outwardly and poured out to others. Then he says, full of mercy and good fruits. These are bountiful. This is the bounty, what comes forth of a life that is leaning upon God and seeking God's wisdom. First of all, uh, it is bountiful in the thoughts that it entertains. It is full of mercy. What does the Bible say in... 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter there. Charity seeketh mercy. Charity thinketh not evil. It's always looking for mercy. It's not thinking the worst about somebody. If you were to come to me and say, you know what Tony Baker said about you? I hope and pray that wisdom would say, Tony's your friend. Don't listen to that. Don't think evil. Show mercy. And so the Bible says that wisdom, God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that is from above, is full of mercy. It is not vengeful. And then, so it's, it's bountiful in the thoughts it entertains, but it's also in the things that it espouses. Look at it says, when it says good fruits. Those who walk in wisdom produce something in their life vastly different than the world. The Bible says we are to have the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, against which such there is no law. There's some fruit that comes out of our lives. That's all from above. That's what God has given us. And when we exercise godly wisdom, now consider the humanists and what their lives produce. When I think of a humanist, you know the number one humanist in history I think about? Adolf Hitler. 
He was a humanist. He claimed to be a humanist through and through. What did he produce with his life? I mean, that's an absolute extreme example. I understand that. But it was just pure wickedness. Godly wisdom says we ought to produce something very different. We are often shaped by these worldviews. A humanist worldview gleans their wisdom from the earth, but we glean wisdom from God. And then we see the fourth thing, it's balanced characteristics. Look at the last part of verse 17. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom that is from above is without partiality and without hypocrisy. So first of all, it is absolutely unbiased. Something that only God can really accomplish, let's be honest. If, if, we, have, if we have any interest whatsoever, if we are mediating a fight between our children, it's pretty hard to be unbiased because we know them both. We know their tendencies, we know their hearts, we know the history of the situation, and so it's very hard. Really, only God can be completely unbiased, but God says wisdom that is from above can be unbiased. It can be without, or it can be, uh, without partiality, and then we see also it's absolutely unblemished, without hypocrisy. That means God's record of wisdom is always consistent. It's funny how on Sunday morning, Cindy sang that song that she just sang a moment ago, and I said, boy, that, that went right with the message. It was just exactly. But then I just heard the song again, thinking about my message tonight, sitting here, and God is too kind to be unloving. God is too... And I thought, boy, that's just right here again. Just perfect thought that, that goes along with the message. God is always consistent. And when we have God's wisdom, then we have a better chance of being consistent and being fair, and being loving, and being kind, so it is without hypocrisy. So we've seen wisdom in its course, wisdom in its source. Look at thirdly, wisdom in its force, verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The true mark of spiritual maturity is wisdom. That's, that's, that's where you get there. Sometimes we think of some of the saints of God that have been saved for 50, 60 years and part of our church and many have gone on to, to be in heaven. And, and the thing that pops in our mind is wisdom. Think of the wisdom in all those years. You know, it's interesting. We had, uh, I had Dr. Strachan come and preach for me in Hamilton. It was about two years before he died. And I can remember... Him getting up there, he was about 80 years old at the time. And he preached and gave a great message. And, and uh, one of our ladies said, I hope he never retires. I didn't tell him he'd been retired for 15 years at the time. And he was teaching in a Bible college, but he was still preaching out as, as much as he was invited. And she said, I hope, it was, honey, it was Winnie Irwin. She said, I hope he never retires. So there's just too much wisdom there to put to rest. And that's the truth about it. And there was a lot of people like that in our church that we need to be thankful for and understand that, but that wisdom comes from God. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. It's a life that not only seeks peace, but it strives to sow peace. They become an absolute force in this world because they're sowing peace to others. Look, notice the scripture one last time. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So those that are seeking peace, they're sowing peace. They're trying to be peacemakers, if you will. And the Bible says about them, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In the Beatitudes, we have a lot of things that we are called. 
or are attributed to us or we might inherit. But the greatest title of all is we'll be called the children of God because we sow peace. It'll be marked in our lives. Wisdom can be imparted. As we learned in the life of Solomon, you'll remember that Solomon asked for wisdom from God to rightly govern the people, and God gave him wisdom beyond measure, and he gave him riches besides because he had asked for wisdom. So wisdom can be imparted. The Bible also says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For those who fear God, God imparts wisdom. But wisdom can also be learned. Submitting ourselves to the Word of God and the example of Christ teaches us wisdom. Think about this. All these good, positive things we read about in verse uh, 17 and 18 were embodied in the life of Jesus Christ. Christ was godly wisdom. He was pure. He was peaceable. He was gentle. He was easy to be entreated. He was without partiality and without hypocrisy. He was all those things. He was perfect wisdom. And so we look to the life of Jesus Christ and we look to the Word of God and we strive to have wisdom that we can survive in this world. And trust me, it's going to get tougher. We need God's wisdom today. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, understand and speak to our hearts, we pray. Help us to grow. Help us to grow in wisdom. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.